Welcome to Adventism 101. In this episode, Lyle Southwell will talk about what the big deal is about the 70-week prophecy. We hope this inspires you and strengthens your trust in Scripture. So, grab your Bible and enjoy. Alright, so here's what you've got in Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to summarize it for you. The Bible tells you, Gabriel tells you when he explains the prophecy in Daniel chapter 8, Gabriel is going to tell you exactly who the ram is, exactly who the two horns on the ram are, exactly who the goat is, exactly who the great horn is, exactly who the four horns are. He's going to tell you exactly who the little horn is. He's going to tell you how long the prophecy is. And he's going to tell you what happens at the end of the prophecy. But he's going to leave one piece of the jigsaw puzzle or one ingredient from the recipe missing. You ever had a jigsaw puzzle and you got to the end and there's one piece missing? Or you've ever had a, a recipe from somebody and they left one ingredient out? You know, their favorite recipe is like, nope, you're not getting my intellectual property. And leave one ingredient out and never taste just right. It's pretty awful, isn't it? The Bible says that uh, Daniel was so upset about it that he was sick. The worry of it made him sick because there was one detail missing. And I want you to notice the detail that's missing. You go find it in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. Notice with me verse, th- verse 14. The Bible says, He said unto me, Unto... 2,300 days or 2,300 years, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. What's missing from that sentence? Unto 2,300 days. There's a word missing from that sentence to make it grammatically correct. And it's the word from. There is no from in the verse. Did you see that? There's an unto but it is meaningless without a from. It's meaningless without a start date. That's why you get to the end of the prophecy there, and Daniel says, I tried to understand the vision, couldn't understand any of it. Well, he could. He could understand who the ram was, who the goat was, who the little horn was, how long the prophecy was, what happened at the end of the prophecy. Why does he say he couldn't understand it? Because there was no from. There was no starting point, and a time prophecy without a starting point is useless. So the good news is that Gabriel comes back, and Gabriel finishes it off for him. We find it in chapter 9. And in chapter 9, Daniel has been praying about the prophecy that he had in chapter 8, and Gabriel turns up, and in verse 20, the Bible says, "...while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel..." And my request before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even Gabriel, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening sacrifice and informed me and said, O Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill and understanding. So Gabriel comes back to finish off uh, explaining what this is all about. Verse 24 is where he begins his explanation and Gabriel says, 70 weeks are cut off for your people and your holy city to make, uh, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Quite a list, isn't it? 
Okay, so let's run through what we've got here and let's run through why. We have a number of different events. We have 70 weeks. How many days are there in a week? Seven. So a day symbolizes a year. So if you've got 70 weeks, you've got 70 times seven, which is going to give you 490. That's basic mathematic, right? If, you, if anyone wants to follow me on a calculator, I know you all have one. Uh, you're welcome to do so. Um, so that's 490 years is cut off, what does the Bible say? For your people, for the Jewish people. So 70 weeks cut off for the Jewish people. What's to happen during that time period? Basically, God's saying, you've got 490 years to get your act together. Finish transgressions, make an end of sin. But then it goes on and says to make reconciliation for iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness. Who made reconciliation for iniquity? That's a reference to the cross right there, isn't it? So we know that within this time period, we're going to have the crucifixion of Jesus and then to seal the vision and to anoint the most holy. Now, this is particularly important right here because what we're going to be given is a whole sequence of very, very specific dates and events in this prophecy. And those dates and events are going to be the seal of of the vision. Now let's think about an ancient seal for a moment. Why would why would the ancients use a seal? For what purpose? Sorry? To give it authority? Yes. Why else? So if you write a letter and you roll it up and you pour hot wax on the joint and put your seal into it and then post it to the other side of the world, authentication trustworthiness if it arrives on the other side of the world and the seal is broken then someone may have added some lines you don't know but if the seal is intact it's authentic it is trustworthy this is going to be important as we work our way through this particular prophecy right here okay so that's verse 24 tells you all of these things are going to happen in verse 24 Verse 25, here comes the important bit. It says, Know therefore and understand that... Who's got a Bible in front of them and who can tell me what the next word is? Know therefore and understand that... From... You all found it, right? So here comes your starting point. From the decree to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street will be built again, and the wall, even in difficult times. Okay, so now you've got a from. What is our starting point? The decree to rebuild and to restore Jerusalem. Um, that's with the, the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, the problem is that there are three decrees. So how are you going to pick which one out of the three? Which one would you naturally assume would be the one that you would go from? Yeah. We would naturally assume you'd go from the first. You know why we would naturally assume that? Because we're Westerners. That's our culture. But in the Middle East, it's a little bit like this. A couple of years ago, I bought a house. And I told everybody, I bought a house. I was really excited. I bought a house. But I didn't buy a house. 
the bank bought a house, right? It's going to be a few more years before I actually buy that house, right? You all understand what I'm talking about? Okay, so for us here in the West, we say we bought a house when we begin the mortgage. We take out the mortgage. In the Middle East, of course, they'll say they bought the house when they pay the mortgage off. They take it from the end, not from the beginning. From the completion. So what you've got is you've got three decrees. Uh, You've got the decree of Cyrus. He begins the decree. Then you've got the decree of Darius. He adds to it and confirms the decree of Cyrus. Cyrus, that's Darius the Great, of course, not Darius the Mede. Um, And then you've got the decree of Artaxerxes, who completes it. Um, And as he completes it, he restores uh, basically a bunch of the uh, laws and the and, and the the legal system of the nation of Israel to make them an actual fully independent nation there at Jerusalem. And so if we work off those first two decrees, you're not really going to get anywhere, but if you work off the decree of Artaxerxes, then it's going to be quite fascinating. All right. The decree of Artaxerxes is not just to rebuild, as Cyrus and Darius was, but it also restores the government. The decree of Artaxerxes, you've got an exact date given, and we have literally dug these dates up out of the ground, carved in stone. The great thing about Persian historians is they did not record their history in the cloud, or on a stick, or on a computer drive, or even on paper, or vellum, or papyrus. They carved their history in stone. The other great thing about the Persians was that they tied their history to astronomy, and astronomy is an exact science, and so you can calculate exactly when these events happen. Unlike the Egyptians, nobody can ever, will ever unravel the chronology of the Egyptian pharaohs. But with the Persians, Archimedes dynasty, yeah, we know, when, we know exactly when all of them reigned, and it's fairly simple to, uh, to trace through. So we know, we know exactly when this, this date is. It is called the completion of the decree. In the Bible, it is called the decree of God, and it works. Let's read it. Let's go to uh, Ezra. Book of Ezra. Okay, you can find the, the decree in its uh, fulfillment along with its date recorded in chapter 7. But I want you to notice what it says in chapter 6 and verse 14. The Bible says, The elders of the Jews built and, prophesi- and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment, singular commandment, of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes kings of Persia. Okay, so that's why we run with this decree right here. And by the way, that decree took place in the year 457 BC. So there's your starting point. Now you know when the prophecy begins. This is where it gets particularly exciting. I'm going to have to skip over some of this stuff. Oh, that was um, Sir Isaac Newton on the decree right here, um, pointing out it comes to 457 BC. Uh, Let's work through it. Okay, we start with our 70 weeks, a cutoff for Daniel's people. That's a period of 490 years. It begins with the decree of Artaxerxes in the year 457 BC. The Bible says that then there will be a period of seven weeks or 49 years. 
Seven sevens are 49, so 49 days. He's going to give you seven, 49 years. That brings you to the rebuilding of Jerusalem completed in the year 408. Then you're going to have 434 years left over that is going to bring you to Messiah the Prince, and that is going to bring you to the year AD 27. Uh-oh. There's a problem there. Does everybody see what the problem there is? Uh, no. Well, that is a problem, but um, that's not the one I'm looking at. Was Jesus born in AD 27? No, Jesus wasn't born in AD 27. He was born in 4 BC. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But that's another story. Once you notice how specific this prophecy is, throughout the Bible, Jesus is known by different names, many different names. Even in the book of Daniel, he's called the Son of God. He's called the Son of Man. He's called the Messiah. And rather than using the, the name Son of God or Son of Man that Daniel has used up until this particular point, now he changes to Messiah. Why does he do that? Because the word Messiah means the Anointed One. When was Jesus anointed by the Holy Spirit? AD 27, at his baptism, right on time. Okay, we do not serve a God who deals with approximations. We serve a God who deals with exactitudes. Don't you love it? Praise God. All right, what about that uh, last week that is over there? Well, it's kind of popular to launch that out into the future these days and create a 1,000-year a gap in the middle of the prophecy. Don't ask me where you're going to find that in the Bible. But anyway, let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. Um, you won't find it in the Bible, just in case you're wondering. Uh, if you do, come and tell me. <coughs> you will be the first person to ever find it. Daniel chapter 9, the Bible goes on, gives some further history in verse 26. And in verse 27, it comes down to that last week. Those last seven days or seven years. Here it goes. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the middle of the week, he will cause the sacrifice to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even to the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate, which is some fairly complex language towards the end there. But there are two things that we need to focus on. The Bible says in the middle of the week. So if it's in the middle of the week, how far in are we going to go? 3.5 years, three and a half years. The Bible says that he, the Messiah, will confirm the covenant, the everlasting covenant, with many for three and a half years, and then in the middle of that, what's it, sorry, for, for one for the seven years, but in the middle of it, three and a half years in, what's he going to do? He's going to bring an end to the sacrifice and the oblation. That is going to be when Jesus died on Calvary. When Jesus died on Calvary, did we need to continue sacrificing lambs anymore? No, it brings an end to the sacrifice. Jesus died on Calvary. That's why we don't sacrifice lambs today. That's when it ended. Uh, that's when the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom to signify it's over, it's done, it's finished, right on time. The Bible says he would confirm the covenant with many for one week. So there's another extra three and a half years right there. Been going so well up until now. Uh, have a play with that, see if you can get it to start working for me again. There we go. 
He's just got the magic fingers. What do you do? Okay, so another three and a half years there. Let's, uh, I'm going to flick through this fairly quickly. This is the structure of Daniel 9. You can ask me about this later. It brings us to the AD 34, and that is where Stephen was stoned to death. And you might ask, well, what was the significance of this? The significance of this is very important. Jesus said, when he was about to leave, begin at Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. So the disciples did. They began to preach in Jerusalem, and then they preached in Judea. And when they were doing so, they were preaching to the Jewish people. Remember, this is cut off for Daniel's people. But the moment that Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out. And in the basically Luke recording in, his, in the same breath, says, and the gospel went to the Samaritans. For the very first time, it goes to the Gentiles. And of course, Paul was there and he becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, so what you've got here is five dates. Five dates, five events over a 490-year period. Every single one of them fulfilled exactly on time. God's not messing around here, is he? Okay, why is this important? God tells us that this that we're looking at right here, which is the greatest messianic prophecy that you'll find anywhere in Scripture, where, which is why uh, the rabbis have placed a curse on anyone who reads it. But the Bible says that the fulfillment of this, these five dates with these five events that are historically verifiable, the Bible tells us that that is the seal of the vision. In other words, the guarantee of authenticity. Why is that important? The reason that that is important is this. Whereabouts does the judgment take place? In heaven. Can we see the judgment happening right now? No. So God says, I want you to accept this by faith because I've said so. That's fair enough. But the interesting thing with God is that He never ever asks us to accept anything on blind faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is always based on evidence. And this right here is God's like, okay, I've got a 2,300-year prophecy. That's a really long one, and people are going to doubt it, and they're not going to be actually able to see it. So what will I do? Okay, I'll, get, I'll cut off the four, first 490 years, and I'll give them five dates, five events, when all of those are fulfilled exactly on time. Then you've got a guarantee of the last one as well. Now, of course, many of you are wondering, when did the last one come to an end? This is your starting date here, 457 B.C., um, you take that 2,300 days into the future and uh, I'm just going to have to skip through a whole bunch of stuff here because I don't have the time, but you'll have to ask me about it later. All the things that there's no Bible text for in the Bible that lots of people believe and it's going to die on me. No, my computer's dying on me. Here we go. 
Let's add in our last date all the way through there. It's going to leave you with 1810 years left and that's going to bring you to the year 1844 and the cleansing of the sanctuary. Okay, judgment beginning in 1844. This is foundational to us as Seventh-day Adventists. That's why we have the name Adventist in our name, because we believe that Jesus is coming back soon. The reason we believe Jesus is coming back soon is because the Bible tells us that we are living right now in the time of the judgment. It is happening as we speak. That's exciting. That is good news, particularly as we looked in the last session, just how good news the judgment is. Okay, What's interesting is this. This is the greatest sign that you have in the Bible that Jesus is coming back soon, but it's not the only one. There's a whole bunch of others. The Bible says, you know, there are wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, and all these will be like the beginning of the birth pains. You know, many other different signs. Your knowledge shall be increased. People will travel from, you know, backwards and forwards all over the earth. And you can look at those signs and you could look at them skeptically if you wanted to. And you could say, well, there's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always been famines and diseases and earthquakes. There's always been an increase in knowledge. There's always been people traveling backwards and forwards over the whole world. Except that God says it will be like the birth pains. How many mothers do we have here? Okay, we've got some mothers. All right. I know some things about um, motherhood. My wife is over there. Um, <coughs> by... I know some things about uh, labour pains by observation. And one of the things I learned about labour pains is when they start, they're kind of mild, but then they increase in intensity. They go up on this J-curve, don't they? Yeah? And uh, the other thing I learned about birth pains is that uh, when, they, when, they, when they first um, start, they're kind of far apart and then they just get closer and closer and closer and closer together. And you go through pain to a blessed event that is just the most love-filled event you can even think about, right? So let's think about some of these signs of the times. And you can take any of them. There are lots. I've just listed a few. You can take any of the signs of the times and you can see them continuing down through history until they hit this date right here and then you'll see every single one of them take a steep J-curve going up like that. I'll give you one example. Wars and rumours of wars. Uh, war gamers, and not when I'm talking about war gamers, I'm not talking about you know computer game guys that... Uh, that sit in a, uh, you know, at home rotting their brains playing games on a computer screen. I'm talking about serious generals who actually game out various scenarios so that they know how to plan for military operations. So, for instance, you know, when, when Putin invades Ukraine, uh, his generals would have gamed the whole operation beforehand so they could find where all of the blind spots were, where the threats might come from, and make contingencies for all of that. And there's some very, very fancy software that is involved in that kind of war gaming that historians have used. And uh, some time ago, 
historians use that kind of wargaming to, um, to have a bit of experiment. And they put the Macedonian army of Alexander the Great up against the Duke of Wellington at the Battle of Waterloo, and Alexander the Great nearly won. You know, that's a gap of like nearly two and a half thousand years. And the technology hadn't improved enough or that much, that significantly in that space of time. In fact, the Archimedes archers had a much greater firepower than the British muskets and the French muskets did at the Battle of Waterloo in the early 1800s. But then if you go forward from there, this is what, when was Waterloo? 18, 1810 or something or something like that? You go forward and you come through this year, 1844. Let's come through to the, uh, let's come 100 years further forward, come to the First World War. And all you need to do to win the Battle of Waterloo is have one machine gun company. That's it. And when the First World War started, the fastest thing on the battlefield was the horse. When Alexander the Great was fighting, the fastest thing on the battlefield was the horse. By the end of the First World War, you had aircraft, fighter aircraft, with machine guns and bombs that were flying over a couple of hundred kilometers an hour. That's a rather steep J-curve, isn't it? And then if you want to win the First World War, when you come, what, the Second World War started, what, 25 years later? Um, and if you're in the Second World War and you want to defeat your enemy in the First World War, you don't even need a machine gun company. You just need one bomber crew, 11 men. That's it. You can drop one bomb and win the First World War. And now what have we got? We've got drone warfare. We've got weapons like you've never even dreamt of before that, you know, have been in... Do we see a steep J-curve here? Wars and rumours of wars? Are things changing in a very, very short space of time? Yes. And you can take any one of the signs of times you're running through 1844. You're going to get exactly the same thing. That's because the judgment began in 1844. Jesus is coming soon. The signs are all screaming out to us that Jesus is coming soon. I mean, hey, all you have to do is look back over the last two years, right? Do you need more signs than that? Don't even get me started because I'm out of time. Thank you for listening to Adventism 101. If you like this talk, make sure you tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening right now. This conversation was brought to you from the North New South Wales Evangelism Team and recorded during Big Camp 2022.